You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson and Sarah Raven. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how we both sow our seeds and different techniques to start them off, both at home and in the greenhouse. It's March today, so me and Sarah thought we'd spend this episode talking about how we propagate seeds from scratch, both here at home with me in Nottinghamshire and Sarah at Perch Hill. For me, I haven't got a greenhouse or a pony tunnel. All I've got are windowsills and they are my propagator, oasises if you like, full of light and luckily they've got a decent depth so I'm able to cram as many seed trays and pots into these during this time of year as I can. Whereas Sarah's got a polytunnel at Perch Hill and also lots of cold frames. So we thought we'd spend today talking about how you can grow a garden in both situations. Whether you're in an urban setting or in the countryside, you can honestly grow a cutting garden from scratch wherever you are. And you can grow a veg garden too, Arthur. Don't forget the veg. Well, this time, yeah, I'm just thinking about the flowers. Pumpkins can come later, but we'll, we'll get on to that. <laughs> Thing is about Arthur is he only grows ornamental veg, so pumpkins make the grade and kale perhaps. But the fact that they're tasty and you can eat them really doesn't, doesn't cut the mustard with you, does it? Yeah, and we're not, we're not thinking about pumpkins until may so um, yeah yeah i mean they kind of come in afterwards but the main thing is for me personally um with seeds is to sow a lot later than most of the seed packets would suggest simply because of the light levels in a house yeah because it's dark yeah if anything's sown now in terms of like summer it does become leggy because i can't have it outside much at all whereas in a cold frame situation or greenhouse all that light helps these seedlings become really strong and, you know, bulky, whereas the warmth of a room really does make things leggy. So when I see on Instagram people going, oh, I've got all my seeds out, it's 1st of March, I do think, oh, you're being a bit early, um, clamping at the bit. So what I'd say to anyone like me who's got windowsills is, sow sweet peas now, which are hardy annuals, and that means they can take a bit of cold, so they can go outside, at least during the daytime, and then bring them back in at night. Whereas all your half-hardies, the cosmos, sunflowers, marigolds, amaranthus, leave them until the end of the month because that means that the weather's on your side a lot more and it means they can have little afternoon holidays outside by the door basking in the sunshine and then you just bring them all in in the evening because there is a chance of a frost even till the end of May. I remember last year I was bringing in all my half hardies it was almost June and we were getting late frosts yeah so I don't know if Sarah's ordered Josie to sow all her half hardy annuals already I don't know but, I don't um, order. Me, I don't order, much. Arthur. All right. No, I've seen your list. <laughs> I request. <laughs> I ask politely. <laughs> no, what you're saying about about the leggy thing really reminds me. I remember because I was a gardener when um, our two daughters were at primary school. I remember. Did you uh, order them to sew them all? <laughs> <laughs> we'll come on. We'll come on to slave child labour later. Um, no, but I remember. <laughs> really well that it was always me as the mum that had to take the broad beans home from school just before for the Easter holidays and they'd always sown their broad beans and they would they would hand me over this tray of the most pathetic what's called etiolated looking things because of course in the classroom it's really hot and it's quite dark even on a window ledge 
So these poor broad beans would already be practically a foot tall with only one leaf on them because they, they were just so drawn out. So then all through the Easter holidays, I'd have to really prove that I was worth my name as a gardener and get them to be really bulky and strong so that they could then plant them out in their, um, in their little classroom allotment when, after the holidays. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. So tell, tell me what your favourite method of sowing is really. I learned very quickly, like a lot of people, when they start out not to sow a whole packet of anything. So I do find myself literally counting out the smallest seeds with a little scalpel. So I only sow at the most 20 seeds of whatever I've put my heart on to grow that year. Yeah. Because my garden's small, I really don't need to sow 100 cosmos. I'm not trying to fill a, an on-show public cutting garden. So that's probably my best tip, you know, count out a baker's mm. dozen of cosmos seed and just sow that. It's far better to have, you know, a really strong little flock of seedlings than have your whole kitchen table covered in, you know, these leggy collapsing things that are all desperate and fighting with each other for space. So I would I would say to everybody, you know, think about how many plants you need to fill up your, your cutting beds or your plant pots for the this, this show and let that dictate how many things you sow. Because I just don't have space to, to grow more than, you know, 40 seedlings. I honestly don't. No, so you've got to be really picky. But my sort of rule to myself, particularly when I was a beginner, is treat seed, whatever it is, like gold dust. Be incredibly mm. stingy and tight with it. Because you think the more seed you sow, the more likely it is you're going to succeed. But actually, mm. it's completely the opposite. The less seed you sow the more likely those plants are going to bulk up really nicely and you're going to have really incredibly productive, strong plants to put out in the garden in a few weeks' time. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because seed does does keep for several years. You've just got to keep it properly, um, you know, in a nice airtight tin. And I always save those little sachets that you get with a new pair of shoes. I forgot what they're called. Those like yeah, silicon sachets. Yeah. Silicon pearls, things. Yeah. And they really help to keep the, the air in a, in a tin lovely and never keep the tin in the greenhouse or in a hot place, you know, have it in, in a drawer. Apart from sweet pea seed, I do find that most seed does last for, you know, several seasons once you've bought a packet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's in um, trials. I think it's said with flower seed, a batch of seed will lose 10% germination every year. So mm. even in year nine, you will still get 10% that will germinate, if you see what I mean. But it is, uh, it's completely right that you want to keep them cold, dry, and that's what the silicon is. It's a desiccant and really completely dry and uh, so not moist. What you want for germination, I'm not explaining this very well, is warmth, light and moisture and so if you want to avoid it you want the the opposite of those three conditions and that's why in the fridge with a silicon sachet in a tupperware box is the ideal way of storing seed mm. and then when it comes to sowing sarah what would you say are the things that people sometimes get wrong but sometimes aren't sure about well the, the commonest way of sowing of course most people sow into a seed tray and I know you do that a bit. So why why don't you talk mm. about your tips for seed tray sowing yeah. and then and then yeah. we'll come on to the techniques that I use. Yeah. So I I use half seed trays which are kind of like um you know a decent greeting card size shape. Um and they're always of the thick plastic because I learned also quite early on that if you buy those cheap 50p plastic seed trays by the time you fill them with soil 
and the second time you've moved them, they're splitting mm. and the whole carpet's covered in compost and you're swearing at yourself at mm. eight o'clock in the morning before you've got to go to work. So heavy duty plastics, smaller than, than that. There's no need for me to buy a big seed tray because I'm only sewing, as I've said, a dozen or so. Mm. So nice heavy duty plastic, solid seed tray. I do still buy seed compost. It's one of the few things that unfortunately, when I'm at the garden centre or ever buying compost, I am still having to buy a seed compost with a bit of peat in because I do find that it's the best mix for me to get a good germination from. Well, that's very controversial. So I think we need I know, to talk about that. <laughs> I know, but I, I've I've seen your trials and I'm afraid, you know, remembering what I've seen, mm. um, the total peat-free mixers at the moment just aren't doing it for me. I've tried them mm. here, you know, I had borage last year and it just did not develop a root formation. Mm. And I know Josie would back me up on that. So, <laughs> yeah, sadly, I am a bit of a red cross when it comes to that. But hopefully in a few years time, they'll get they'll get much better. Mm. I mean, I, I do think there are other things. I think, well, obviously your own homemade compost is, from your compost heap is fantastic, but it's got to be made really hot so it's not full of weed seed. Mm. Um, and then that can be diluted uh, with either vermiculite or even just washed in land sharp sand or horticultural grit or whatever. But we do use coir here in, instead of peat. But I mean, there are, mm. there are air miles or road miles or whatever. There's certainly travel miles associated with coir. So, but we are, we are entering a hornet's nest here. So I think perhaps it's just worth saying that, of course, you can also sow into the garden. You can direct sow and then you don't need any form of growing medium. But the problem with that is you have to wait a bit longer. And what I always think with direct sowing is you need the four or five T's. And to get direct sowing right, you need one timing. And timing is basically with here in Sussex, it's the middle of April, and it tends to be. Obviously, it changes from one year to the next. But how you know when the moment has arrived is when weeds really start popping up everywhere in the garden. So if weed seed is germinating, then you know that the seed you sow into the ground is going to germinate well. The next T is tilth. And if you're going to sow straight into the ground, you've got to make sure you've got a really nice crumbly top layer of soil and I always think of that almost like apple crumble topping. But that doesn't mean that you have to prepare the whole area, the whole bed to that finish. You just can prepare just a bit where you're going to put the line, where you're going to put the seeds in, and that's fine. Or you can actually even cheat and you can put some potting compost or whatever in a line and actually just sow into that. And the seedlings will then root down into it. And the third T is thinning. So after three to four weeks, once the seedlings have got to, I don't know, decent size, sort of two or three centimeters in height and two or three pairs of true leaves, then you want to thin to the distance that it says on the back of the packet. And overcrowding is really important to avoid. You mustn't overcrowd because otherwise uh, things just compete with each other and they run up to seed too quickly. And the fourth T for me is tying in and certainly for cut flowers and a lot of the veg, you then also do need to stake and support things. And I tend to find, uh, you know, once a plant is at sort of 45 centimetres, 18 inches, it will need supporting. And so something like a cornflower, I might even support it in two layers. But we're going to do another whole episode on, on supporting plants. So we, we won't talk about that now. Anyway, those are those are the keys to success with direct sowing. 
and I've rather um, had a monologue there, Arthur. It's all right. I switched off. I've got no space to direct so here. No. <laughs> it means nothing to me. <laughs> and we actually do incredibly little here because we have heavy clay soil and we find we just don't get brilliant germination. But if you've got a mm. wonderful loamy soil like Monty Don does in Herefordshire, you can direct so happily and it will be a great success. But the problem is you don't know you failed until about six or eight weeks later by which time you've often missed the best window for sowing. So I have to say we do 90% of our sowing at Perch Hill undercover. And so I'm going to hand over to you now, Arthur, to explain which system you like best for undercover sowing. So I've mentioned my my half-size seed trays, and I do sow quite a lot of things into, into those, but with that comes pricking out which some seedlings don't mind at all in fact with some seedlings such as cosmos i find if anything it sort of invigorates them to you know really get going with their growth but other seeds like zinnias would hate to be pricked out so for those i would go to something that sarah's used for years and really um flies the flag for which is something called a jiffy pellet and the good news is these are totally peat free they've they're made of coir and um they look like a little, almost like a, a baked, overbaked chocolate brownie sort of thing I'd probably come up with if I was left to cook something for Sarah for tea. <laughs> um, and so you get them in a in a tray, a reusable tray, and each one is there flat like a, a big penny. And you just add water to them. You could fill up your, in my case, I'd fill up my bath and just float it in, you know, less than an inch of water. And each one of these little pennies would then plump up into a big um, like little sack within their little compartment. Then you can sow a single seed into each. And that means that whole little compartment cell of coir and compost, once that seedling's germinated, grown its first pairs of adult leaves, that whole thing can be planted out into the garden as its own little, little world. And that means that things that hate root disturbance, so zinnias, nigella hates root disturbance. So I'd maybe sow a whole packet, you know, a little pinch of nigella onto each and foxgloves as well. Um, mm. So jiffy pellets mm. are something that, that I would use if I was sowing anything that hated being disturbed. Mm. And the key thing is to remember to remo remove the net. So in all our trialling here that we've done um, experiments where we've planted a range of different things from a cosmos to a basil to a zinnia in a jiffy, and we've planted one row out with their nets left on. You know what I mean? Those this sort of um, yeah, like almost a like a tea bag, like, exactly. It? that holds the the coir together so we've we've planted a row leaving them on and we've planted a row taking them off and the row where they've been taken off grows a third taller and better and bigger than the row with the net left on and i think it's because they're designed to biodegrade but it just takes too long for an annual so they're fine for like a herb cutting or whatever because the herb is on a slower growth curve but with an annual you do need to remove the net and actually, also, while you were talking, it reminded me of the child labor thing. Um, that's how I got into Jiffy's 20 years ago is I had two tiny toddlers, one three years older than the other. But I really loved doing a little bit of sewing with them, partly because I wanted to get on in March and April. and There's so much sewing to do. And at the weekend when they were back from school, I would persuade them and we would go down into the polytunnel for half an hour or an hour. And with the thing that looked like a chocolate brownie in a tray, I'd get them a white saucer and each of them were perfectly capable of putting one or two seeds into the dimple and in the top of each of the chocolate brownie. 
they became brilliant propagators, my two daughters, <laughs> both Rosie and Molly. So not 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 very good child labor, but I think they loved it rather. And in their 20s, I, I can sort of feel the beginnings of interest that maybe their early exposure to these techniques has got something into their bloodstream somewhere, but I'm not, I'm not sure they'd, I'm not sure they'd agree with me. And in terms of other systems, we also use gutters a lot here. But do you use gutters, Arthur? I don't, mainly because of the visual issue yeah. <laughs> of having the drain pipe inside. I mean, it's a tiny house and, you know, my our kitchen windowsill is literally the, the greenhouse, as is my bedroom windowsill. So I think if I was doing veg, maybe I'd use the gutter. I mean, I yeah. do save all the square-shaped plastic pots that I get because I find on a windowsill it really helps to have square things rather than round oh, because a round means you've got a gap in between each pot and yes. I just can't afford that that loss of space. So I love my square pots. So, um, you yes. know, root trainers are very good as well, which I say my sweet peas in because they're very tight up against one another. And all the cosmos, when they get pricked out, so they go from a seed tray into a you know, each one gets a nine centimetre square pot to grow in. So I'm sowing in batches really here. You know, I'm not sowing everything on one go. I'll sow the Cosmos middle of April and some French marigolds probably after them and then cornflowers after them because they're really, really quick to grow. So yeah. I'm propagating really from the middle of April right up until the middle of June. Apart from your sweet peas, which, which yeah, you do early. Yeah, they've already been done. But, you know, some flowers I do so in June because I find that then they're in flower for October. Mm, yeah. Whereas if I sowed everything in one go, it just everything would die. I know it would. There's just not enough space. Yeah. And then you and then you would have blanks late on in the season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, I um, that's such I never really thought of that because I suppose I'm lucky that space is not such an issue. But you've of got course, lots having... of space, missus. Yeah. <laughs> You're having a new greenhouse built next year. <laughs> I know. That's exciting, isn't it? Well, it's only because polytunnels are wonderful, but they're not exactly the prettiest things to look at. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't want a polytunnel in a little garden, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. No. And do you put anything under your trays that you've got on the window ledge? So what, what's there to help with moisture retention? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. My poor mum, there was one year where every windowsill was scarred brown. Yeah. So we 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 sort out very good heavy duty trays that fit perfectly into the windowsill. So that prevents any staining of the lovely wooden sill. And onto that tray we use not newspaper anymore. We've moved on to capillary matting, which is mm. something you introduced me to, which sounds very posh and some people may say, Oh well, what do you need that for? I do find it's a real lifesaver if you're gonna go away for a long weekend. Yeah. Um it just absorbs moisture. And makes it also look very neat and like a professional little greenhouse. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. I do like it for that. And you can reuse it as well. I just let it dry out at the end of the season. I hoover over it and it then just goes into a bag somewhere in a drawer. But mm. I really find it helps, especially once the roots are, are coming out the little pots. You know, it just gives the, the seedlings that security of moisture without overwatering them. And you would always use that over like fine grit in a layer on the bottom of the tray? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just chicken yeah. grit. Okay. And so I, I just thought it, it's worth us mentioning which things we'd sow in which system. So for mm. seed trays, we tend to use for only, only, only for very tiny seed where you literally 
cannot separate them out. So you have to do a little pinch. And um, with those, again, like you, I would use half seed trays, not whole. Or I would divide a seed tray with a little cane across it so that, you know, it's it's just, it's a full size, but I've divided it in two. And I sow my tomatoes into those. So things like antirhinums, I sow into seed trays because they're tiny. And tomatoes, I sow into seed trays because they're so expensive, tomato seed. Mm. I want every single one to make it. And to be honest, you do get more heading towards 100% germination rate with a seed tray than you do with any other system, I find. Um, So with expensive seed, it's worth it. And then we use root trainers for any of the legumes like the sweet peas, or we're moving on now into beginning to think about sowing beans and stuff. And that's because it has a long, thin root run, the root trainer, but it also has those channels down the side which direct the root, and that helps with rapid root formation. And then we use your square individual pots from the word go, so sowing straight into those for big seed. And you and Mm. I have already mentioned in a previous podcast, a cabea scandens, and so I would always sow those into individual pots. And one of the things we're going to sow in the next couple of weeks are courgettes and cucumbers, and both those I would sow into their own individual square pots. And then maybe finally, we should just mention about the the guttering, which I know you don't use, but we use a lot here, and we use a lot for all our salads, herbs, and quite a lot actually for things like the kales, which we're growing in such large number, and edible flowers. So nasturtiums, cornflowers, and calendulas, they all go into gutter pipes. I think that's pretty much all the ones that we use. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. I mean, just going back to the, the seeds that don't like disturbance, I remember at Kew, I was amazed that they used to sow opium poppies, of all things, actually, in seed trays. Gosh. And they literally pricked them out almost as soon as those little seedlings had, had emerged. Oh. And that way they could grow the most gorgeous looking peony black beauty opium poppies in a pot so there are things that you know you might think oh i can't prick that out but i think if you if you are quick to prick them out they they will cope sometimes but not always i mean um my mum loves nigella uh, but we can't grow that here because we've just not got anywhere to direct sow it no it does prefer direct sowing but you know try trial and error and if you're not going to sow a whole seed packet you can do a little bit of your own experimenting also the other thing that that we maybe we can finish on is just describing the layers if you want to make your own homemade propagator. Because I always find Mm. those electric-based propagators, they just seem really quite expensive to me. Uh, So like a three-bay, I don't know, it can be a 100 quid or something at a garden centre. Yeah, I agree. And so um, you can get, I think, much better. You can get horticultural electric blankets. That doesn't mean taking an old electric blanket off your bed because then you're going to electrocute yourself because you're going to have a lot of water. So you want a horticultural electric blanket and that is laid on top of insulating tiles that you would put in the roof. And so all the heat doesn't sink down into the ground but is kicked up to your seeds germinating. And then we lay a layer of capillary matting on top of that and then the seed tray or gutter pipe or jiffy or whatever on top of that. And then quite often, if seeds like to germinate in the dark, and it should tell you that on the back of the packet, I just cut open empty compost bags and put them over the top. And that keeps all the warmth and moisture in and excludes the light. But if you 
do that over the top, you must remember to look at your seedlings throughout March and April every morning and every night because in the previous 12 hours, some will have germinated and then they're looking for the light and they're covered with this plastic. So it speeds up germination, but it must be removed as soon as there's even a fleck of green because they've got to start photosynthesizing. So if you're not the sort of person who can be guaranteed to look morning and night, then don't use the cover on top. But I found by having a table here that um, I started, I made 22 years ago, and we've still got one of them, and we've added several more since. But by using that very basic homemade DIY propagator system, it ups the input from seed to garden by about a third. So you really speed up the whole pace. And that is, in a way, what it's all about. As, as you say, you want to have succession, but you want to have high production. So that, that's pretty much all I know about sowing seed. I don't know about you, Arthur. I suppose the only thing I'd add is um, one of my pet hates is seeing it when people don't fill a seed tray or a pot to the top. Uh, um, yes. I think people often think they can scrimp on compost. I would always say, fill your seed trays up, foot them down on the table, and then fill them up again because your seedlings, they do need that mm. maximum depth of compost to start off in. And I promise you that will help them. Because yeah. if you don't fill that seed tray up properly, it's amazing that the tiny bit of shade that the seed mm. tray will cause those seedlings, they'll be elongated almost as soon as they germinate. So that's my biggest pet hate that I see occasionally on Instagram. Um, so true, and my biggest so thing to, to say to everybody. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be available shortly and it will be all about sweet peas and tomatoes. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.